Father, we've just sung about our only hope being the cross. And there are times when we perhaps don't live as though that is true. Help us today to to understand more of what you accomplish on the cross in Christ. And give us hearts to hear, understand, and respond. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? I suspect that there are a number of circumstances in our lives that might lead us to feel that way. One of them is our own sin. There is a very natural reaction, particularly for people who who have a, a sensitivity toward God, that when we go our own way, when we do what we want to do that we know isn't what God wants us to do, we feel a sense of guilt and shame. And the next natural re- response to that is to think, maybe God is done with us. I find that that's especially true for us when the sin we're wrestling with is something we've been wrestling with for a while. And something in us feels like we ought to be over that by now. We ought to be past it. We ought to be done with it. What's wrong with us? And God is probably saying the same thing. And we feel a sense of rejection by God, abandonment by God. And abandonment is a difficult emotion to deal with. I read about some children who were playing hide and seek one day. They were probably, you know, middle grade school, fifth, sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. And they decided they wanted to play hide and seek, and they invited one of the other kids in the neighborhood who they didn't normally include. They considered him kind of a misfit, and they didn't really like spending time with him. But this day they said, hey, why don't you come play with us? And he was ecstatic to be a part of the group, feel like he belonged with them. And so they picked someone to, to count, and everyone else went to hide. And he found this great hiding spot. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And when he came out, finally, everyone was gone. What he didn't realize is that he'd been set up by the rest of these kids. The reason they asked him to come play with them is he went to hide, and all the rest of them went somewhere else to play. And a young boy who felt isolated already felt abandoned. And I suspect that there are moments in our lives when we live with that sense of wondering if God has abandoned us. Wondering if God has rejected us. And this is where the Israelites find themselves 
as chapter 50 unfolds. Isaiah has been talking with them uh, about their sin and what's going to happen if they don't turn from their sin, but they keep sinning. And eventually Isaiah says, you're going to go into exile and it's not going to be pretty. And then you come to verse 50 and God says, I've got a word for you. I'm here for you. 70 years have gone by. Let's see what we can do together now. And they're hesitant. So verse chapter 50 begins. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because they're thinking they went into exile because God was mean to them. Because God rejected them. As we tend to do, it's all God's fault. That's as old as Adam and Eve. You know, God comes to Adam and Eve, confronts them about their sin. And what's Adam's response? Lord, the woman you gave me caused me to sin. It's such a common response to want to blame each other, to blame God, and to say, why did you do that, God? Why did you reject me? And God says to them, I didn't reject you. You rejected me. It's because of your sins that you were sold. It's because of your transgressions that your mother was sent away. But now, listen to me. I want you back. I want to restore our relationship. And verse 2, he says, when I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? You think my arm is too short to ransom you? Do you think I don't have enough strength to rescue you? And somehow the Israelites have gotten it into their minds that God doesn't want to rescue them. God doesn't want to redeem them. That he just simply wants them to live in the agony and the abandonment of their sin. And God says, that's not my plan for you. And that's not God's plan for us either. He says, look, I didn't punish you because I just arbitrarily thought this would be a fun thing to do. I sent you away so that maybe you would learn the lesson I've been trying to teach you for hundreds of years, that there are consequences to your sin. And maybe if you go away, you'll see how much you need me and how good I am to you, and you'll come back to me. But they're hesitant. Not quite sure what God will do to them if they go back. Sometimes we think living in the agony of our sin might be better than facing God and what He may want to do to us, ask of us. It reminded, made me think of passengers on a cruise ship, and, and you're out in the middle of the ocean. And some of the passengers on the ship are not real happy with the captain because the captain has some rules and they don't want to live by the rules. But they're not crazy rules. They're things like don't hang over the railing. Don't poison the food. Don't don't take things from other people. Don't confiscate somebody else's cabin. Don't tell the captain how to sail sail the ship as if you know more about sailing, sailing an ocean liner than he does. 
And the people say, we don't like any of those rules, so we're going to do our own thing. And they take the lifeboats and they sail away. And they end up on a small little deserted island. And they're thinking, now what do we do? And they believe they're there forever. And then a few days later, they hear a voice coming from the lagoon calling out to them. And it's, the, it's the, one of the stewards of the captain of the ship. And he says, look, the captain wants you to come back. This is no place for you. How are you going to survive here? This is bad. He doesn't want you to be abandoned and isolated. Come on back. I, I, he, I'll send the boats and, and we'll come and we'll get you. Come on. And the most amazing things ha- thing happens. Nobody moves. Nobody comes out. Everyone is afraid that if they go back to the ship, what will the captain really do to us? And God says to us, I know what your sin is doing to you. I know how it's destroying you. I know how it's making you feel about me. I want to change that. There's something in them that I think wonders, if does God have the power to bring them back and to redeem them? And so God says to them, beginning in verse 2, Look, I dried up the sea just by rebuking it. I turned rivers into a desert. I clothed the sky with darkness. I make sackcloth its covering. And you get an image, you get the images of them being in Egypt. And God ended up sending the plagues to bring them out. And God says to them, look, if I did that, I can rescue you. I have the power to do it. But there's also something in them that's wondering if God even wants to do it, despite what he says. And that's often our concern, too. Does God really want to do this? And God says, let me show you how much I want to do this. I'm going to send you my servant. And he'll help you understand. And so he sends the servant. And verse 4 says that the servant comes and speaks words of comfort and hope. And you would think that those words would be enough. All they need to know is God wants you back. God God loves you. God wants to redeem you. I mean, the servant who we believe is Jesus... His words are perfect and true and always right. He is the word made flesh. So what Jesus says, we can believe and you think that'd be enough, but it's not. We still wonder. And so God says, all right, let me take this one step further. My servant is not just going to speak words to you about what I'm thinking, what I want to do for you. He's going to come and reveal things to you that you could have never dreamed possible. He's going to come and he's going to prove to you how much I want to redeem you. And beginning in verse 4 and on through verse 9, the servant speaks. And in verses 5 and 6, he says, I have not drawn back, I have not been rebellious. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Jesus comes and offers himself as the sacrifice for us so that we could be redeemed from our sins. So that we don't have to live with a fear of abandonment by God, but we can live in relationship with God, in intimacy with God, in freedom with God. 
And Jesus does it not because he has to, but because he wants to. They don't take his back. He offers it. They don't take his beard, the sign of dignity and respect and honor. He offers it to them. And he is willing to be shamed so that we can be redeemed. And the cross that looks like death and despair and destruction becomes the place of hope for every single one of us who is burdened by sin and struggling with sin and afraid of what God is going to do in response to our sin. One of the things about about God that we see from beginning to end of the scriptures that there, there are always choices when God makes offers to us. God never forces us to do what he wants us to do. He gives us the freedom to choose. And as we come to the last couple of verses of this chapter, we see the choice once again. In verse 10, he says, trust me. Trust me that what I've said I will do, I will. Trust me. He says, trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in the character, the reputation of who God is as the redeemer of Israel. As the one who is patient and slow to anger and abounding in goodness. Who has rescued you time and time and time again. And who has the power to do anything. Trust in him. Trust is hard for us because you know, trust is about the unknown. If you know exactly what's going to happen, there is no reason. There's no need to trust. Trust only happens when we don't know what's ahead, when we aren't certain what lies before us. That's when we have to trust. And I think one of the reasons God lets us feel guilt and shame and remorse about our sin is because it turns us back to God. It causes us to realize this is not the way I want to keep living. I don't want to keep living with this. And God says, I can do something about that. Look at the cross. But there's always the other side of the choice as well. And verse 11 lays that out for us as he talks about light and fire. And it's a little bit difficult to understand and scholars have batted around exactly what it means, but it seemed to me that the clearest explanation is, is like this. You're walking through a dense forest and all kinds of underbrush, and there is no path, and you're trying to make your way through, and it's the middle of night, and there's no light anywhere. And you're carrying a torch, you know, one of those medieval-type torches in your hand, and you're trying your best to make your way through with one hand. You're not making any progress. So you get the idea that if you could use both hands, you could do something. And you find some, some things around you that you can use. And you, you make a harness and you set the torch down in the harness in front of you. And you start walking through. And you can use two hands. And you know what's going to happen if that torch sits very close to your clothes when you're moving around trying to make your way through this through this forest. You're going to get burned. And probably your clothes are going to catch on fire. And it's going to be serious. 
And this is God's way of saying to us, you can look to the cross and find exactly what you're looking for, light and hope. Or you can try to do it your own way. You can say, if I just work a little harder, if I just do a little more, if I just push myself more, I can get over this myself. But that means we're turning our backs on the cross and that always leads to destruction. And so the choice is ours. We can trust in our own power, in our own abilities. Or we can trust in the one who loves us enough to go to the cross and offers forgiveness. Not just once, but every day of our lives. As we prepare to gather at this table, this table that touches us both spiritually and physically, it helps us to see that this game of hide and seek is not with a military general who's just doing some job assigned to him. But we're hiding in fear and uncertainty from the one who loves us enough that he goes to the cross. And he's coming for us and he's willing to forgive us and he's willing to do anything, anything, To make that crystal clear. So whatever you're wrestling with today. That's causing you to question. To fear. To wonder. Look to the cross. See what God has done. For you in Christ. And come to this table. In trust. Believing. That he does miraculous things. For each of us. Heavenly Father. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you do not reject us. But you're continually calling us to yourself. To find forgiveness. And healing. And hope. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who's the bread of life that came to nourish his children, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, the servant of the Most High who is obedient to you even to death. Father, we pray that you will give us grace to see your love for us, And to let you embrace us in your mercy. We remember that night when Jesus was meeting with his disciples. The night he was betrayed. And how he took bread and he gave thanks to you and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on that night, he took the cup, and again, he gave thanks to you, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, 
Do it in remembrance of me. Father, as we receive these loving gifts, send the power of your Holy Spirit upon them and upon us, that in receiving them we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as his body and cleansed from our sin by his blood. And that together we may serve you in unity and righteousness and joy. Through Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to receive a communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It means to dip in and as you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar is open for you if you'd like to stay and pray. We also have trays if, if coming to the front is difficult for you or simply if you prefer. We have trays of, of bread and cups and we are happy to serve you in your seat. Just simply let the usher know as your row is released. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God and with the desire to know his love and mercy and his forgiveness in your life, then come and receive these gifts from the loving, gracious hand of our Heavenly Father.